0: The call to action that I would offer is to really understand the credit that you're buying. And does it actually have the climate impact that you think it does? That can be difficult, but it's important to just continue to ask those questions and understand what project you're supporting. Is it really having an equal positive impact on the climate compared to the negative impact that your company had on the climate. Just asking those first principles questions will reveal that carbon removal is likely going to be an important component of the future when it comes to corporate climate commitments.
1: Welcome back to the Decarb Connect podcast and this week I'm really pleased and proud to be able to welcome Stacy Kalk, who is Head of Sustainability at Shopify. So this is going to be an interesting conversation for me and for listeners as well, because this is a site, in many ways, it sort of feels like, oh, why is Shopify on an industrial decarbonisation podcast? But as you'll hear, we'll be really bringing out the strands of their work around uh, carbon dioxide removals, their general support for a lot of climate tech and entrepreneurialism. And we will definitely benefit from hearing about Stacey's own experience in this space. So before I uh, ask my classic question to Stacey of how she's arrived at this point in time. Let me just give you some of the headlines behind Stacy and also Shopify to give some context to our conversation. So Stacy uh, joined Shopify back in January 2020 and is head of sustainability. I was uh, checking out your uh, CV, Stacey, and I see there's at least 15 plus years of experience in climate and environment. Um, And at Shopify, Stacey's role is to ensure that the the millions and millions of businesses using the platform and the shoppers and everyone engaged with it are really working together in a kind of coherent uh, fight against climate change. And there are some key elements to that, including Shopify's sustainability fund um, and Frontier, which is this uh, uh, the program that Shopify built and launched, which is advanced market commitments for permanent carbon removal. So again, some pretty key elements that are very relevant to Decarb Connect and their audience, but coming from quite a, a different perspective. So Stacey, welcome to the Decarb Connect podcast. And uh, perhaps I'll kick off with that, that classic question I alluded to. So can you give us a bit of a feel, you know, for how you personally arrived at this point in time?
0: Sure. First off, Alex, thanks so much for having me on. This is uh, delightful to be able to share what we're working on at Shopify with your audience. So really appreciate uh, the invite. So a little bit of my story. I am an environmental engineer focused in on chemical, chemical engineering as well as Um, a lot of things related to environmental protection and waste. So I started my career, you know, hard hat and work boots out on large infrastructure projects and industrial sites, um, implementing designs and making sure that things are going as they should. And, you know, working in the industrial sectors and trying to help those clients make sure they're in compliance with the uh, local environmental regulations that they have to They have to conform to. So that's where I started. And I decided I wanted a bit more work-life balance as well as um, working to tighten up some of those environmental regulations. And I ended up joining the Canadian government and before coming to Shopify, I worked at the Environment and Climate Change Canada for 10 years on a variety of regulatory and policy initiatives that worked with those exact same sectors to try to phase out the use and production of toxic substances, as well as bring down emissions. So I have an interesting background when it comes to understanding the technologies that we use in um carbon capture, utilization, storage, as well as in carbon removal, but I also understand the policy and regulatory landscape that, you know, a nascent market needs to develop within, and so it was just a stroke of coincidence that landed me at Shopify because I was representing Canada at the UN negotiating multilateral environmental agreements, and those are consensus-based decision-making mechanisms, right? And climate is uh, a very urgent issue, and I was starting to get a little bit itchy and frustrated with the pace at which things were moving, and I was ready for something else so my third act was to try to come to the private sector and see what kind of impact i can have there so like that's my my journey that i went on but ever since i was a little kid i always wanted to understand how everything worked especially in natural systems so that's kind of how i landed here and i still enjoy every
1: single day i just want to take this opportunity to thank our production partner and sponsor jano media for their support in delivering the decarb connect podcast Over the last few years, they've helped us to facilitate great conversations that connect us with our audience. And their skills and expertise mean that we get to concentrate exclusively on generating the content, the conversations that engage, inform and inspire. As people who listen to this regularly will know, that that question about what experience people bring with them and what background they come from is... We, we hear something different every time. And I kind of love that about the space that we're in at the moment, that it's not, there's no one track into doing this kind of work. And there's a, a lot to be learned from that multidisciplinary workforce and leadership force out there, I think. Um. So on joining Shopify, I'm going to ask you in a moment about the sustainability fund, but what what was it about Shopify that made you think, yes, okay, private sector, here I come and it's going to be Shopify. Yeah. What was it that drew you to them? That's a great question. Uh,
0: when the, it started with the job posting. It was not a standard, you must have 15 years of experience doing this, you must have this degree, you have these competencies. It was a description of a person. And, and it was really interesting because it resonated with me. Every line I read, it was like, Do you understand the natural world? And are you curious about solving problems? Like it was just so interesting how they approached the hiring process that by the time I got to the end of the job posting, I'm like, oh my God, they're talking to me. Like this is for me because it was just such a unique way to describe the role. And so I was like, well, I, I definitely need to apply. And then the interview process, I got introduced to the mission of the company And the mission of Shopify is to make commerce better for everyone. And that may not sound immediately connected to uh, environment and climate. But if we think about making commerce better for everyone, um, we have to do it in a sustainable way for the long term. And I saw how you can weave environmental policies and approaches for climate into that long term mission for the company and then... I also really started to understand that, you know, by making commerce better and having all of these millions of merchants in over 175 countries using our platform, that gives me access, right? That gives the climate programs access to all of these other businesses. And that gives you um, a real multiplier in terms of being able to have impact. So it was that potential to leverage the entire Shopify ecosystem that really drew me in.
1: I think I think one of the fascinating things about them, though, is I, of course, knew the name of the brand. I understood what Shopify was before this kind of big climate push of the last three years came into place, but it feels like, from the out, I don't know, it definitely feels to me like in putting a stake in the ground, in setting up the fund that we're going to talk about, in this work around carbon dioxide removal that we're going to talk about, it's sort of raised, really proactively raised Shopify almost to another level just through that activity. Let alone their core platform and the core customer base. I mean, is, does it does it feel like something has shifted in the three years since you've been there?
0: I mean, we've experienced unprecedented growth, you know, through the pandemic with, you know, stores, in-person shopping, closing, and the world getting introduced at large to online shopping. Like, there was a lot happening there. And there's also a lot happening uh, in the recent years with um, entrepreneurship and more people wanting to start their own business. And I think we're riding a lot of that. But right alongside it, is the climate leadership work that we've we've taken on, and I think that that they're they're mutually compatible because folks that wouldn't have thought about carbon dioxide removal or even understood what it was are now getting exposed to it. So it, it's really a neat uh, synergy that's happening there. But when it comes to uh, why we got into CDR, it really was about first principles thinking and using engineering uh, skills to solve problems, and that's what we do for our merchants. And so it's taking those same systems uh, thinking and systems analysis approach that we use for our core business, but applying those same approaches to climate has led us to where we are. So I think it's a very um, consistent approach for the business and it's not something that people are like, oh, they're just doing this climate stuff because they want to look good. It's like, no, this is impactful. And it it fits nicely with the rest of the business.
1: Yeah. No, it feels way more fundamental than just a a nice kind of uh, branding exercise. And with that in mind, let's sort of dig into the first question then. So uh, one of the one of the kind of workflows that I alluded to is Shopify sustainability fund. I wondered, can you just give us a bit of a feel for how did that come about and what was the original motivation? What was the reason that that felt like, ah, this is the step we should make?
0: Sure. So maybe I'll tell a bit of a story because, you know, I joined in January, 2020 Um, our CEO had announced, oh, we're going to launch our sustainability fund. We're going to spend $5 million every year on the most promising solutions out there. And, you know, I show up and I'm like, this is great. I've got this money. I'm going to spend it. It's awesome. But I really needed to understand where that came from because it's not just a branding exercise, like you say, and it's not just a nice to have. It was actually identified as a business imperative. And so how, how it played out was... The company was doing all of the data gathering and number crunching to quantify our corporate carbon footprint. And, you know, they got the numbers together. They did the back calculations for all of our emissions since we were founded. And it was like, okay, great. Now we know how much pollution we're responsible for. But like, what are we going to do about it? And so the team started exploring carbon offsets. Well, that's what you do. You go out and you buy the same amount of carbon offsets as what you emitted. And then you can call yourself a carbon neutral company and we're in good shape. But then there was some fundamental questions. Why would we pay another company not to pollute as much as we already had? Like our pollution is still out there from the atmosphere's perspective. You know, we put X amount up and we're paying somebody else not to do the same. So like we're not undoing. Our pro what we caused, right? So it was there was a lot of questions around that, which then ended up landing on, well, we should remove our emissions. And back in 2019 it was like there was some bubbling around carbon removal. I was like, well, that's what we need to buy. We need to buy a carbon removal credit because then we're essentially paying another company to suck our emissions out of the atmosphere and put them away. Great. And naively, we thought, and I thought this when I joined, oh, great, I've got $5 million, I can go out and buy that stuff. Well, guess what, (laughs) there actually wasn't any happening, really, at the time. And what was happening was in the labs, in universities and academic settings, and certainly not at the scale you'd need to address your entire corporate carbon footprint. So that's where the cat like that's where the genesis took place for our founder our ceo and he was saying you know well if we want to buy this product we should commit an annual amount to spend on it it's like a carrot out there maybe this will kick start what we need to see and you know at that time the ipcc was also starting to say you know if we start overshooting our emissions targets we're going to need to remove the extra carbon. And so there was a lot of signs happening that carbon removal is going to be an important part of the world's toolkit to solve climate change. And so those two things together meant we needed to launch our sustainability fund.
1: And so the the fund itself, like how do you select where that money is going to go? How do you evaluate you know, where the impact really lies? It's
0: a great question. So I'll start off by just some high-level stats. Since we launched in 2019, we made our first purchases in 2020. We've um, contracted 30 over $33 million worth of carbon removal, and that's from 28 different companies, and they span a wide range of solutions. We have direct air capture, we've got ocean-based solutions, we've got biomass based solutions we have reforestation and soil carbon solutions um and we have also solutions that lock carbon dioxide away in products for a very long time like in concrete which might be of interest to your listeners um so we have a huge range of solutions and so we started out with an approach where we wanted to uh, not put all of our eggs in one basket. We weren't going to pick one technology or one company because we need all of them and we need to give them all a shot at seeing what works and seeing what's going to be cost effective, What which ones are going to be economically viable at scale. And we don't know that. Everything's on paper, right? So we decided to go wide and try to support as many different technologies and solutions as possible. So that makes it even harder to do the selection right <laughs> so how we how we approach selection is obviously the first thing we take a very very deep look at is the technical viability of the solution you know does the science support this are there going to be insurmountable engineering challenges these are the questions we look at like is this thing possibly going to work And is it going to be net negative? Because a lot of the technologies will use energy to operate. So we have to make sure that they're going to capture and store more CO2 than they emit to operate. Otherwise, there's no point. So we do that assessment. And then we also consider um, whether or not the solution can be a critical component of the solution set at scale. There's a lot of biochar kind of solutions where, you know, you're taking crop waste and making into charcoal, and you're putting the charcoal back on the farm field, and it's going to store some CO2 for, you know, potentially hundreds of years, it just depends um but like that's a very localized and small operation that's difficult to do at scale and to to find all of those inputs and outputs that you need to make it work so we really look at from a systems perspective will this be able to get to say like 500 megaton capacity so DAC is you know a good one ocean-based solutions are good ones lands-based solutions are much more challenging in that you know where we've got a lot of questions around well what should be happening with that land if if we're going to plant you know a million trees on it for example so we look at that component and then we also ask a very shopify question what is the impact of a purchase from us like if we're going to buy from you and be your first customer what is this going to do for your business? Because we want to allocate our fund in the most impactful way possible. And so a lot of companies rely on us as their first customer in order to secure, you know, their seed or series A funding round. And they need that purchase on paper so that they have a guaranteed buyer with revenue. So we try to understand how we're going to be able to impact and accelerate the development of their business. So that's what we look at. It's a lot. And we rely on external experts. Like if we're evaluating a certain um, technology, it's not just going to be me with my, you know, generalist background digging in. I'm going to, you know, we're going to talk to the leading experts around the world related to that solution so that we can feel comfortable with the risks we're taking as a buyer.
1: Okay. And then internally, so, you know, you, you have this fund, you have this belief, you have this way of looking at, this essential technology. But I mean, ultimately it's still the case that a lot of these technologies are comparatively expensive in the early stage, right? So how, how do you make the case? Like, do you, do you have to make the case internally? Do you have to make the case to your finance team? How, how does that work when we're dealing with very early stage and comparatively expensive acquisition or investment? Totally. And I think that this is
0: something that's in that is in common for most companies uh, that are considering buying carbon removal or have tried to buy carbon removal. Um, you know, yes, I have the mandate and license to spend the budget, but how I spend that budget, I mean, needs to stand up to scrutiny, right? Because it's not just about, it's not philanthropic. Like we're not just giving money away. We, we, pay and have multi-year contracts and we will pay in advance so that these companies can get non-dilutive funding from other sources. And it's really important for them to get early revenue. Um, But that puts risk on us, right? Because we'll pay and then we're waiting years potentially to get those carbon credits. And so that's where the decisions have to stand up to scrutiny because we want to pick the best of the best. We really focus in on the leadership team and the founder of those companies, because we need to have confidence that they're going to be able to identify problems early, not just be in love with their solution, but like be able to change and pivot and iterate and really improve what they're building rather than just sticking with that. So we, we really focus in on the leadership of the companies and the financials are really important. So we do some financial due diligence as well as the whole, you know, engineering and scientific due diligence, because we don't want to support a company that doesn't have enough runway or funding to make it them a growing concern in a year a going concern in a year not a growing concern. That would be bad. Um, so we look at the financial due diligence as well. And that's where, um, We get a lot of scrutiny in the decision making and as well as a company who um, plans to be able to deliver carbon credits more in the near term, even if it's just like 100 tons or 10 tons from like a very small um, facility or operation, that demonstration of early progress early on in our contract or our deal is really important. We don't want to wait five years for those carbon credits. We want to see incremental progress. So we pay a lot of attention to the milestones and that gets us into, you know, how we monitor the performance of our portfolio. So we really want to stay on top of those targets that
1: they've set for themselves. And so are some of those um, uh, operational now, or is the portfolio still kind of in that kind of transfer into commercial operation? Like where where do most, and that's a big question about a range of investments, but you know, what, what's the, what's the kind of working on the ground reality at the moment?
0: Well, it's really exciting right now. Um, you know, when we first started in 2020, the only types of solutions that had credits or were going to start delivering credits were the nature-based solutions like reforestation and soil carbon storage, because those are, you know, they're ready to go and they're scalable right now. Um, And the rest of the portfolio is just, we're just waiting. And what's really exciting about this point in time is I think over the next 12 months to 18 months, we're going to see delivery of credits from a wide range of solutions, including things like Um, passive direct air capture using mineralization of rocks. We're going to see it from enhanced weathering projects. We're going to see it likely from ocean-based solutions, both the ocean alkalinity enhancement, which is basically you add the chemical equivalent of baking soda to the ocean and it precipitates out uh, carbon dioxide in the form of a carbonate and then you get more drawdown from the atmosphere into the ocean into the deep mixing so it really leverages the ocean sink and then also from uh, the sinking of kelp or seaweed biomass sinking is also another method so we're going to see hopefully these pilots and trials either succeed or not succeed deliver credits or not deliver credits and we're kind of hitting that tipping point where if there is success we're going to see Companies start to scale. And that's where we're at right now. So it could be really exciting when we go to retire credits for the 2023 year, we could be retiring a cool range of credits instead of, you know, one or two different companies, it could be five or six, which would be really exciting.
1: And I mean, you you did mention that you're looking at, you know, a range of uh, types of companies also, to some extent, a range of Uh, maturity, I suppose, in in the companies you're looking at, but a very basic question, how do you source them? How do you find these companies? And well, yeah, let's start there. How, How do you actually sort of amongst all of the kind of different opportunities out there, identify and filter the ones that are right for you?
0: So we've taken a couple of different approaches to experiment and figure out what works best. We started with an invitation only proposal process because there was, you know, we did our research. There's a handful of companies out there established that we knew who our targets were. So that's how we started in 2019, 2020. And then in 2021, we decided to just do an open call. Anyone and everyone with any kind of solution at any stage is free to apply. And we had well over 200 applications, and that's like for initial screening. And then we invited 60 to do detailed submissions. And then we brought it all the way down to about 20 for interviews and the deep due diligence. And we ended up, I believe, selecting 11 or 13, but just over 10 new companies at the end of that process. So, you know, it's a lot. And like what we're going to be doing now is we're going to likely be operating on a rolling basis where we're gonna accept uh, expressions of interest anytime. And we'll be then looking at how that company or that solution fits into our portfolio because it goes back to the previous question where we're going to see some success and we will see failures. So we will have companies likely exiting our fund and so if there's a new company coming up that's doing the same thing, but different or has innovated on the base technology, we're going to want to bring them in and fill that gap that we have so that we're um, minimizing our risk by having a diverse set of
1: companies. So it'll be more of an iterative process going forward. Okay. And then I mean that kind of leads neatly into my next question then, so if you imagine talking to stacy that's you in 2020, what, what have you learned like whether it's personally or organizationally or through the fund like in the last 3 years about this whole process that if you could grab yourself back then and say don't do x or you know spend more time on y like what what is that what <laughs> has that learning process been and and what would be perhaps some of the simplest points of advice you'd give her or other people that are starting to look at that? yeah yeah
0: that's a great question and i would say that there's two I mean, I touched on this at the beginning. I naively thought it would be easy to spend $5 million. It's not easy. Um, You know, there's not a lot of solutions. Now we've got a lot of options, but you have to weed through and pick the ones that are going to be impactful. And so I think I underestimated uh, that challenge. Um, So a little bit more... uh, cautious optimism would have been good for 2020 Stacey. Um, And the other thing that I didn't expect to experience is, you know, in the, in the carbon space and the climate space more broadly, you know, it almost doesn't matter what you do. There's a criticism against it, a reason not to do it right. Or that's not good enough. You should have done this. And I wasn't prepared for that. I was very uh, naive in thinking that this is going to be incredible and amazing, but what you get is a lot of folks who have picked their favorite solution or they're really fixated on emissions reductions. And I'm not saying we don't need emissions reductions, but they're really presented as an either or mutually exclusive emissions reductions or carbon removal. If you're doing carbon removal, you're irresponsible. You're obviously just gonna buy your way out of polluting. And I like hadn't put that together that I was going to experience and Shopify was going to experience a lot of that kind of feedback and you have to be tough because climate is a hard problem and it's a complex system. So it's going to be a bunch of small changes and small movements throughout the system to change course of that giant ship. Right. And to be able to figure out how to persevere through that negativity, in spite of the good that everyone's doing, in terms of designing and engineering and building these solutions, that, that's hard. And if I'd known, I probably would have paid a lot more attention to building out a support network <laughs> early on. I'm good now, but it was, there were some tough days where, you know, I would question what we were doing, which is good, right? It's really good to not blindly follow what you're doing, but it's impossible to do everything and to do it perfectly.
1: Just taking a slight shift then, we've talked about the sustainability fund and this this role that you've been playing in identifying and supporting early stage companies. The other kind of big uh, work, uh, piece of work that you guys are known for is the Frontier Fund or is it a fund? Is it advanced market commitment? I know is the key phrase. Can you right. tell us a little bit about that? And when did that, come on board and how does it play into the shop uh, the S- sustainability fund or are they quite separate uh yeah are they quite separate and how they operate yeah no
0: problem so i think off the top i'll sort of explain what frontier is so you've said it's an advanced market commitment and so essentially it's modeled after vaccine development where um many pharmaceutical manufacturing companies wouldn't they'd be in a tough spot to justify the r&d uh, development required to get a new vaccine to market if they didn't know that someone was going to buy it or pay for it or what the price was going to be so an advanced market commitment can be used as a mechanism to guarantee that future price and that future purchase so that you can work back from that commitment to know how like to make it a viable um initiative to build so it can justify the r&d needed and the go-to-market required to develop these carbon removal solutions because what we've done is alongside stripe alphabet meta and mckinsey sustainability we've agreed to commit a combined total of 925 million to spend that amount of money on carbon removal by 2030 so essentially it grows the mechanism to kickstart the market because we're pooling funds and so that sends the most the strongest possible signal and it sends that signal not only to you know climate entrepreneurs who are going to start a company but it also sends that signal to the global science community and we're basically saying we want um, these communities, these research and technology communities, to build quality, permanent carbon removal solutions that meet our criteria. So it's two things. It's a commitment to buy if you meet these criteria. And we're you know, not specifying which technology types. If you can come up with a solution or technology that performs and meets these output criteria – we will buy it you will qualify for a purchase from the frontier group and so it's not an equity investment mechanism it is a essentially a procurement vehicle that all of the committed buyers will use to source carbon removals so we're simplifying the process that i outlined at the beginning and we're all using the same scientific expert panel to do due diligence and we're having one RFP process instead of you know it would be five separate ones for five different buyers And now we're streamlining that together, which has significant efficiencies for the entire ecosystem. So that's what Frontier is. Now, the reason we decided that we wanted to join is because with our, you know, I talked about this a bit, our 5 million, I thought that was great. That's a lot of money. It's going to be easy to spend. But what we, what I learned is that 5 million is like not enough to kickstart an entire industry. And so this joining frontier gives us the ability to grow our commitment beyond 5 million. And it also is bringing new buyers to the table, which then increases demand for carbon removal. And then if we're stacking this demand around you know, the same carbon removal suppliers, we're giving them a real chance to scale rather than just operate at a small amount. They have the contracts, the purchase agreements in place that then enables them to go get the debt financing or the capital financing they need to build their facility at scale because we're there ready to buy. So that's the thinking behind it. And you asked a little bit, Alex, about how that fits together. Like we buy direct, from the carbon removal suppliers, even though it's gone through a frontier process. So all of the companies that we buy from are considered part of our sustainability fund. It just means that by joining Frontier, we've expanded the amount of money that we're going to spend on climate solutions. Now, how they fit together from like a more technical perspective, Frontier has a very specific definition of carbon removal. It must be atmospheric, sourced CO2, and it must have over a thousand years of storage, Compa- you must be able to demonstrate that it'll store the CO2 for more than a thousand years, has to hit or projected to achieve a target cost of a hundred dollars, hundred US dollars per ton at scale to operate and capture a ton of carbon. And then it also needs to be able to scale up to about 500 megatons. So we look at those things. So when we think about some of the solutions that may not yet have the science available to demonstrate that they'll hit that 1,000-year storage timeline, those are things that Shopify can decide, even if it doesn't meet Frontier's criteria, we can decide to go fund those direct and broaden our portfolio. So it's almost like Frontier's like the bullseye for the set of criteria and then we take a more broad approach with our wider fund so we'll have a a a mix of solutions
1: okay and then with frontier have have there been more has it been sort of a process like a challenge to get other industries to join i mean i you've sort of alluded to some of the criticism that shopify has based around cdr i mean i know cdr in general gets a lot of push and pull from all sorts of industries all sorts of individuals and all sto- all sorts of uh, organizations so so what has it been like to try and draw others into that so we talked to a lot of other potential buyers from a wide
0: range of sectors and increasingly carbon removal is becoming accepted as part of what's going to need to be done from a corporate perspective when we hit years like 2030, for example, like a science-based target initiative net zero claim is likely going to need to be supported by the purchase of carbon removal for that unabatable portion that will remain for years to come and because of that companies are now getting very interested well what is carbon removal how do i buy it uh what do i need to know and you know the the price is really difficult because buying now is very expensive there's not a lot to buy so most of it is scooped up quite quickly by the few buyers that are out there. And so when we talk about it, I like to say, you know, if you don't buy now and you're going to expect to buy carbon removal credits in 2030, if nobody buys now, how are we going to have enough? (laughs) Like we have to develop the sector now. So, you know, and you can take sort of two different views from a corporate perspective. Uh, Why should I pay the high price now for the benefit of everyone in 2030? But if we all do it together, it'll be better. So now we're almost back to like my government multilateral engagement days where it's like we all have to do this together so that we don't leave profit on the table, like we don't sacrifice our profits, right? So it's very similar to national economic considerations when we think about making emissions reductions. So how we're thinking about it and how we talk to them about it is more from the business case perspective where... Like for shopify we're an information largely an information technology company we're going to rely on the decarbonization of the electricity grid and alternative fuels essentially to really address our uh, corporate emissions because it is about running our facilities and offices and getting on airplanes like those are the two big buckets for us right and so we're going to have a small footprint in 2030 when these things start to get phased in and our emissions go down and what does that say about our buying power are we going to be able with you know a small footprint go out to the market and access a small amount of an in-demand commodity likely not we're not going to have the buying power so how do we make sure we position ourselves to have that buying power in the future and how we do that is by building those relationships now buying it when it's expensive, but making sure we're sharing in the upside and we've got contractual terms in place that give us access to those future tons at lower prices when we're going to have difficulty buying them in the open market. So it's about positioning yourself for the future. um, And that case does resonate with a lot of companies, but I think we're going to need uh, maybe a year or two more of policy and regulatory development in different jurisdictions to help companies understand that this is the future that's coming and you need to prepare.
1: Mm. Well, that kind of then sort of leads to my next question, which is, can this market develop without kind of additional government intervention in in any jurisdiction? do, Do you think it's possible to build a market purely off private sector investment um and if so great but you probably still might have some thoughts on government intervention but what what's your sort of feeling around that because having been on the other side of the fence obviously you know how long and how challenging it can be to get to get a you know government commitment to to like this so so what what do you make of that
0: so this might so this this is one area that's interesting when it comes to carbon removal, we have um, a company in our portfolio called Carbon Cure. And so what they do is it's a solution for concrete. So instead of using the same amount of Portland cement that you'd use to react to make your, your concrete, uh, you actually can replace that with some carbon dioxide. And you can do the process a bit differently using their technology so that it actually pulls down a bit more carbon dioxide and stores it safely in the concrete for thousands of years. And right now they use, um, end of stack captured emissions, packaged gas, and then you buy a carbon credit from them that then funds the installation of that technology at the cement plant and sorry, at the concrete plant. And what that means is that without us buying that say a hundred or two hundred dollar per ton carbon credit, that technology would not be installed in that facility because it's a cost to the the facility operator? And concrete is a uh, you know a low margin and in the industry it's been around for a long time. So if everybody isn't gonna do it, who's gonna actually pay to install something that nobody else is doing? Like that makes no business sense. Right. So the carbon credit money um, allows for the technology adoption. And now this is where I get excited about that financial mechanism. It's because when we buy those carbon credits and that technology gets adopted and you could demonstrate to policymakers that it works. And now you've got lower carbon intensity concrete being produced alongside regular concrete well which one should we which one should we be buying and that's where you get government policy going oh the technology works these companies are using it oh everybody should use it and then you get regulation to level the playing field or you get government procurement policies where they're only going to buy the climate friendly product rather than the status quo and then you have companies winning more government contracts and so we've seen that play out with this solution so that's one way to drive it from the private side and have it get adopted and get policies developed to support that but then on the other side if we're talking about like corporate climate action carbon footprinting the calculations and all of the things that people use words to say like oh we're net zero or we're net negative oh we're carbon neutral I don't know, there's probably another 10 things that you could say. Um, There's no definitions, there's no requirements, there's no required transparency from a a regulatory perspective. And I know we are seeing in the EU uh, a bit of a discussion happening, and I think we'll see a proposal very soon about what a corporate climate commitment can be, what the definitions are, what kind of transparency is required for companies as well as for products. And so if we see that happening on one side where it's like you need to be clear about what you're actually doing, and then if we see movement on the sort of the, the net zero or the science-based targets initiative side where it's like you have to buy carbon removal or these kinds of credits in order to make good on that you know, carbon neutral operations pledge you've made, when we have those two sides come together, I think it's going to create a very robust market where we're going to have to get it right in terms of the transparency and describing the climate benefits and making sure the climate benefits of those credits actually are what they say they are. So there's a long road ahead and there's sort of three big buckets of policy that's needed, but I know a lot of folks are talking about it.
1: Okay. Well, we're sort of heading into the wrap-up phase of the podcast. And I, I guess I have a question for you um, about a call to action, really. So you've, you know, the, the work that you and your team are doing, that Shopify are doing is great, but the very nature of your involvement in Frontier points to the fact that you know that others oh, need to step up. So what's what's the call to action that you would give? Whether, you know, our listeners are a combination of investors, some policymakers, people from industry. What's the call to action that you think is significant here?
0: I think the call to action is to,
1: you know, everyone's got a different
0: climate commitment or goal for their company. And from a corporate perspective, the call to action that I would offer is to really understand the credit that you're buying. And does it actually Have the climate impact that you think it does. And that can be difficult, but it's important to just continue to ask those questions and understand what project you're supporting. And is it really having an equal, like positive impact on the climate compared to the negative impact that your company had on the climate? And I think that just asking those first principles questions will reveal that carbon removal is likely going to be an important component of the future when it comes to corporate climate commitments. And then the next call to action, hopefully after we've all looked at what we're doing, um, to start getting involved with carbon removal by a little bit, it doesn't have to be your cover your whole footprint, it's really expensive, but you know, 1% of your budget Go out and buy a couple credits. Get to know some of the solutions that are out there. Some of the different ways you can source those credits. There's brokers. There's marketplaces. You can go direct. But get familiar with what you're going to need to do because, you know, if I have a crystal ball, I think by 2030, the companies that have gotten familiar with carbon removal now are going to be in much better positions than those that are waiting to be regulated into compliance. So, you know, we, we put together a couple of different guides to share what we learn along the way. So there are resources and materials out there. We put out earlier this, or I guess right at the end of last year, uh, our buyer's guide. Well, it even includes like sample contracts and how to manage the performance of your companies. So, you know, there's a lot of resources out there and I would encourage folks to get rolling.
1: We'll um for those interested in that, I'll, I'll make sure that we add a link to the buyer's guide into the, the podcast notes as well okay last question and then you're free to go back to your real world job <laughs> which uh, is this so you know you've talked really eloquently about what the last three years have been like and the really incredible amount of work that you and your team have been doing in this space what does it look like over the next three or five years what what do you anticipate that you will be focused on again in, in this relationship that we're talking about with the carbon removal market what what's next? Mm-hmm.
0: So there's two things that will be a large focus over the next uh, three to five years and hopefully starting this year. you know we're going to see some of our companies run their first commercial scale operations and start delivering credits. And when that happens, in order for us to accept the credits, we need to verify and confirm for ourselves as the buyer that in fact one ton, if we're talking about one credit, one ton net, was in fact caught and stored. And there's monitoring in place to confirm that it continues to be stored. And so what needs to be developed as these credits start to become delivered are monitoring, reporting and verification protocols. And we need to do it differently from the existing offset market where there's really an incentive to over credit and issue more credits um, than actually should be issued and, and are not representative of the climate benefit. And I think, that that is one of the things that needs to get resolved because as a corporate buyer of carbon removal credits, we need to be able to rely on that ton to um, address our emissions and be able to do that in a confident manner. So I think that those are some things that we're gonna be focused heavily on is making sure that those systems are being developed and implemented in a way that then helps grow the carbon removal market.
1: Great. Well, Stacey, I really appreciate um, just the time that you've given to us, but also just that insight. Um, And I think that buyer's guide as a follow-up will be really useful for people to kind of maybe just put even more context around this process that you've been through and this incredible learning experience that you and Shopify have had. So again, thank you for joining us and thank you for being so generous with your experience. Thanks, Alex. It was a pleasure. At Jano Media. We recognize that great content has the power to create impactful and positive change for lives and society. Whether that's video, live streams, photography or podcasts, partnering with us will enable you to harness the power of content to engage, inform and inspire. Reach out to us today.